WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season, but for the purposes of this podcast today, we're going to rename the title of the show to Pitching Season. Thanks to the Michael Lorenzen no-hitter at Citizens Bank Park on Wednesday night. The Phillies' new starting right, uh, right-handed pitcher, who they got at the trade deadline, throws just the 14th no-hitter in Phillies history. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. And we're going to talk about this game, which is going to go down as one of the greatest regular season games in franchise history for reasons in, other than just my. Michael Lorenzen's no-hitter. And joining me to talk about it tonight, special guest, we're going to wrap about it for the next 45 minutes to an hour or so, the great Mike Robertson. Of course, you know him from the Twitter feed at Fransky LA. Uh, that's where you can follow him on X. Mike, is that, are we, are we, are we, are we going I'm there? I'm not calling that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, follow him on Twitter at Fransky LA. You almost certainly do if you are a fan of this podcast already. Mike, when we first agreed we were going to do this today, you know, I had a whole show sheet ready to go and that just got tossed into the crapper, man. What a, what a great night at the ballpark. And it's amazing too, because that's the first thing I thought of was this amazing show prep that you, you sent over. It was like all this stuff we're going to talk about. And at the very end, it was a note like, and eh, we can probably talk about whatever happens tonight in the game. And it was just yeah. like, well, yeah. <laughs> It's just so many cool moments here. You don't get to see baseball history made all that often. Um, and uh, and it truly was a special moment at Citizens Bank Park. As I mentioned, it's the 14th no-hitter in franchise history. I didn't realize, Mike, that it was only the second no-hitter at Citizens Bank Park. I, it felt to me, I mean, obviously the other one is the one we all remember, the Roy Halladay no-hitter in the playoffs, the near-perfect game in, in the first game of the uh, 2010 playoffs against the Reds. But um, I... I I guess I just could have sworn. I know Josh Beckett has thrown one against right. the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park. I, I think there may have been another one. Well, that one that happened line. in November last year that um, oh, we yeah. that didn't happen. But yeah. I've heard tell that maybe one happened. <laughs> Forgot uh, about that. But no, I I agree. Like it makes sense when you see the list. Um, but like I hate combined no hitters anyway, so I almost don't yeah. count those in They're my detestable. head. So I, I always I always like throw out that Hamels one against the Braves where all the guys pitched or whatever. Yeah. But when they when they ran the list, it's crazy because like for us and we're basically the same age, like no hitter there that was not a thing. Right. And then you know what was it? Mulholland had the first one. Uh-huh. So there's there's been a quote unquote lot of no hitters relative to fourteen in hundred and forty. <laughs> One year of a franchise. <laughs> so we've actually gotten to see a few. It's just crazy that you saw one tonight when, honestly, I wasn't even thinking about it till maybe the fifth inning. Yeah. No, because Lorenzen, I, he's not a guy who's going to blow you away with stuff where you're looking at him and you're like, oh, man, this guy's got no hit stuff tonight. You know, he was just hitting the spots. And, you know, the Nationals have a decent lineup, but it's not a phenomenal lineup. It's not a great lineup. And they have nights where they'll chase out of the strike zone. And um, I know uh, Johan Rojas got quite a bit of work in center field here tonight. He's just he's going to be a great addition defensively in the outfield. And he really was helpful in in making it kind of a routine night for Lorenzen. But he was just kind of plugging away plugging away, plugging away. And, you know, I think one of the things that I asked after the seventh inning, he was at 100 pitches. And generally speaking, my man's going to get the hook at 100 pitches. And and I, I really didn't think Rob Thompson was going to let him come out for the eighth inning. But when he did come out for the eighth inning and needed just 11 pitches for the eighth inning, I knew he was coming out for the ninth inning. Did you? Were you surprised Rob Thompson left him in? I was, and it does kind of impact the way I watch no hitters in the modern day of baseball. Right. And I'm not one of those like, Oh, throw 190 pitches or whatever like that, but it does take a little bit of your expectation out when he's got a hundred pitches at seven, but you do the math in your head. Right. And he had like 86 through five or six. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you're, they're not going to let guys go that long. Yeah. I think Johan Santana was the last one that really like the Mets just let him go forever. And he really yeah. was never the same. And so I think right. that turned into the cautionary tale. So in my head, it was like, okay, if you're not, and they said this on the radio too, because I don't think those guys thought they were going to um, let him pitch. Anyway, if you're not going to let him finish, if you're not going to let him pitch nine, why even let him pitch eight? So I was even a little surprised when he came out for eight. That's the meaning I was surprised at. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah. And I think at that point, once you could tell in the dugout, like 
he was still standing up. He wasn't getting congratulated. He didn't have a mm-hmm. towel over his arm. Once you kind of knew he was coming back, I think they even said that Covey was up in the bullpen for the ninth. It was like yeah. they yeah. would have burned the stadium down <laughs> if they would have brought, brought him Kobe. in in the ninth with yeah. a no-hitter. But I was that's the thing. So, so your brain almost has to flip as it gets into the eighth and he's having quick at-bats. You're right. The Nats swung at a lot of first pitches. They helped him out. They helped exactly. him out in the last couple innings. And I think once your brain kind of flips to like, oh, they're going to let him try— then you get excited about the no-hitter again in a way that, at least for me personally, I just don't get as excited when I think the guy's coming out or if they ever do take a guy out. Um, so it really became kind of like, uh, this is fun, but to like, you know, edge of your seat, mm-hmm. no-hitter stuff. So Yeah, and back in the day, they used to let pitchers throw 120, 130 pitches in, in games, even even when they weren't going for no-hitters. I mean, it's just, it's not the way we do baseball anymore because pitchers are throwing harder. They're throwing nastier stuff and it's harder on the arm. You just, you don't let pitchers pitch that deeply. And I will bet that if Lorenzen had even just walked somebody in the eighth inning or the ninth inning, he probably would have gotten pulled. I don't yeah. think it was even necessarily that he, if he'd given up a hit, obviously they pull him. But I think even if he'd walked anybody, he's get he's getting the hook at that point. Like Rob basically was saying, if you can get everybody out from this point on, <laughs> go we'll ahead. let you go. <laughs> but you know, if any anything other than that, and and we're taking you out. And and one of the things that I think made this decision for Rob Thompson a little bit easier is the fact that they are going with a six man rotation right now, yep. and they have two off days next week, so they could conceivably give Lorenzen a lot of time to come off of this 124 pitch no hitter which is the most pitches in a Phillies no hitter since Hamill's 2015 no hitter where he threw 129 so it makes the fact that they're going with a six man rotation I wasn't even thinking about the two off days next week but it affords them the ability to give Lorenzen whatever time he needs to rest and recover from this yeah they could they could like not even take him to Toronto if they wanted to the right. way that weird schedule is 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 made up and that's that's one of the advantages they had the extra day off because of the rain, there's, there's just, it was the perfect storm. Plus, I mean, every video, that video that was flying around at Lorenzen, like, does he get tired? He didn't seem like he was gassed <laughs> or out of breath. <laughs> like, you know, that guy's doing exercises that like Clubber Lang was doing. Like, yeah. it's just, so I don't, I don't, I don't even think of him as being a guy that's going to be affected by this. But that said, you're jumping 24 mm-hmm. pitches from his career high you at least right. want to be careful but they're in the perfect position to be careful so i'm glad i'm glad they they kind of got out of their own way mm-hmm. and kind of embraced the moment because it is a big thing and it is a vibe check and it is like all that kind of stuff that stuff does play and this team is all vibes it's all so, vibes right now it's so. all vibes right now. It really is. I mean, uh, and we're going to get into the Weston Wilson story in this game, which I thought was going to be the headline from this story. Uh, Nick Castellanos had a huge game here in the game on Wednesday. But th- it just th- the vibes in the stadium during this game were off the charts. And th- it's been building. I- and I think we've been able to see during this homestand, especially the last two games against the Royals, I mentioned it on the last podcast, that it really started to feel like we were approaching 2022 postseason vibes levels again. And it felt like the team was starting, you know, when they hit home runs, when the big five are hitting home runs and the offense looks unstoppable, the vibes are automatically going to be better because you know that you're never out of a game, that you're a three-run home run away from being right back in it. And the Phillies for the first half of the season were allergic to three-run home runs, and now they can't stop hitting them. And we probably all should have known that that was going to happen at some point during the course of the year. That was unsustainable. But when you, you had, you know, Michael Lorenzen's family was in the stadium tonight watching him pitch this game. It was his first ever game at Citizens Bank Park. Only his second game with the team, but his first game pitching in front of the Philadelphia fans. He said after the game, as he was coming onto the field for the start of the ninth inning and the crowd went crazy and gave him a standing ovation, he said that was the coolest moment of his life on a baseball field. And the fans have been such an integral part, I think, of the vibes ever really since the Trey Turner thing. Yep. It just feels like it, it it flipped the vibes and did a 180, and the team has been riding a crest of positivity. Now, they've lost a game they shouldn't have lost here and there, but that's baseball. The, whole, the crest of positivity this team is riding right now is similar to what we saw at points last year and especially, I think, in October. And it's – listen, we, we all love baseball, so we maybe sometimes forget. It's a long season. Yeah, And, you know, people were so hyped when the season started and, you know, people made these comments at the time, but they, you could not have done more damage to the, the goodwill that you had than the first few weeks they had this season. 
Mm-hmm. And it did take a little bit of the steam out of people, I think. And, you know, and, and, and so when they start to play better, and like you said, it's more fun when teams hit home runs. And they have a long home stand, which I do think helps because people are yeah. going to the park two, three, four nights in a row or things like that. And it's just, you know, August, it's just, and it's the Royals, you know. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and, and it's the Nationals. Like, you can kind of look at your calendar and be like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, these are good games to go to. Um, but they're, they're a momentum team. And, mm-hmm. and it does feel like a snowball going downhill in a good way that once they kind of get going, it's kind of what happened in October last year. And that's, that's the beauty of them as little as it makes sense. And you get so frustrated as it goes on when it clicks and it works and it works like it's supposed to. Now this is obviously the extension of how it's supposed to work. Right. But, but like, this is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a party at the park and it's supposed to be good pitching and hit a couple dingers and some, you know, the only thing they didn't have was like a weird play today. You know, yeah. that's that's, yeah. the, that's the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies, you know. So. Yeah. No, and, and it seemed it was such a routine no-hitter, too. They didn't, from from my recollection, and I didn't catch the first few innings of the game, but I didn't see anything that was a near yeah. hit or anything. I mean, a couple balls hard here and there, but nothing where somebody had to make a diving acrobatic play or anything like that. It was a pretty methodical you know, no-hitter here by, by Lorenzen. And uh espn stats and info tweeted out that he's just the third pitcher in the expansion era since 1961 to throw a no hitter after playing for a previous team that season so the only the third time wow. a pitcher has thrown a no hitter after being traded or i guess we could also say like released and picked up by another team in the middle of a season uh, and it's also the first time the washington nationals have been no hit as the washington nationals which I'm shocked by that information. I know that was just, they started in 2005, but they have never been, no, they had never been no hit before tonight as a, as the Washington Nationals and the Phillies domination of this franchise just continues unabated ever <laughs> since they put out that tweet. I think I saw the numbers. Yeah, the Phillies, ever since, you know the tweet I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yep. When, the, when, when the Nationals uh, put out the tweet that said, um, what was it, uh, it was no, basically it was it. basically the record like it was the record at the time or oh, something like beating that. Philadelphia isn't as right. hard as Philadelphians say it is right. right they they tweeted that out and then since then uh the Phillies during that time are 40 and 16 <laughs> against it's <laughs> the Washington so you're, so you're so if you're if you're a Nats fan this week you you had Harper come out and basically say that he regrets ever playing for any yes. team besides Philadelphia, which is yes. your team, Washington. Mm-hmm. And then this, it's just like mm. great, great week to be a Nats fan. Yeah. No, and th- this whole series has been, has been fun. Obviously the game, uh, the second game of the double header on Tuesday night was a disappointing loss, but the first game was real good. And we'll, we'll dip into those, uh, those games here in, in just a second, but um, you know, just, just to, to finish up on, on, on Lorenz and end this game, where does this no hitter rank for you? I mean, because it, it seems, I, I think we all have favorites and it's based on, I think really when we started watching and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think with, with Justin and Liz, I think the Roy Halladay no hitter in the playoffs is going to be every Phillies fans number one yep. who, who who lived through it there's just there's no competition for that but for me you mentioned the Terry Mulholland no hitter in 1990 as someone and you, again you and I are the same age we both grew our t- grew up on those mid-1980s Phillies teams that um, had promise but uh, were, were never really very good you were coming on the back end of the Schmidt era and stuff like that it was a pretty rough time to be a Phillies fan I had never I had started watching the Phillies in like 1984 and so I'd never witnessed any kind of celebration by my baseball team right. I've seen other teams do it but I'd never <laughs> witnessed anything like that like people jumping up around so Terry Mulholland throwing that no hitter at Veterans Stadium. That was the first time I'd ever seen Phillies players dancing around on the mound, congratulating another player for doing something. And that that game has resonated with me my whole life. That's one of my favorite all-time Phillies games because it was the first time as a kid watching the Phillies, like, oh wow, they're allowed to do that. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was it was pretty it was just such a cool moment. So I guess mine um would be the Millwood one because hmm. I was because th- I was there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that takes it to a different, different level. level. Um, even though I, you know, I think the other games they they all have their charm, right? The the irony is I missed the first holiday no hitter because I was in Baltimore for Memorial Day weekend, and I think we had the Flyers game on because they mm-hmm. were in the finals that night, and just totally missed <laughs> totally <laughs> missed the no hitter, caught like the highlight at the end. But the Millwood oh, yeah, one that was, that was the holiday regular season right, perfect game. Right, yeah. Okay. Exactly, yep. Exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So the Millwood one, um, 
was the Fanag's birthday, and my birthday is right around that time. And so when I was a kid, my family would take me there. So that was the last year at the vet. So we went strictly for tradition's sake. You know, I was probably a little too old to be at a Fanag's birthday for my birthday, but at that point, it was great. And so when you're in the stands for a no-hitter, it's actually kind of awful because it's like the stress is just <laughs> eating you alive. <laughs> and unlike tonight, they had a lot of like close calls. I think Ricky Lede made a great catch. Yes, he and, did. You know, Bonds is on that team, so I think yep. he struck out Bonds looking at one point. And so like you felt that stress in the stands the whole the, almost the whole game because it was a one nothing yeah, game. Yeah, one nothing game. Yep. Not not like tonight. Um this one almost feels like more that like well, but that was on the road. See, it's different when it's at home too, right? There just haven't been a lot of home no hitters. Yeah, there haven't been. I mean, I think you've had, um, you know, you had uh, um, Mulholland. Mulholland. Yeah, I guess Mahan was the first ever home no hitter, wasn't it? And then right. after that, Tommy Green was in Montreal. Um, you didn't have one again after that until until Millwood. Millwood. And then, and then the Holiday playoff game. Yeah. So and then Hamels in 2015 in, in Chicago. Yeah. So it's just there haven't been a whole lot of home. This no is hitters. an old franchise. There have not been a lot of no hitters. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the no-hitters we forget because it was before our time, that Rick Wise no-hitter in Cincinnati right. when he had two home runs is also uh, one of the one of the great no-hitters in, in franchise well, That's just history. one of the great, you always bring it up, but that's one of the great, yeah. like, anythings of all Individual time. Individual performance doesn't feel games, like yeah. a real thing. Yeah, no, so. he Shohei Otani'd a, a yep. game just on, before, you know, just one for one night, Rick Wise was Shohei Otani. And that's in, kind of... In glasses. In gla- <laughs> and as a kid as a kid who wore croquis playing basketball growing up, that's impressive <laughs> to do that all in glasses. Well, I think it's very cool, too. Michael Lorenzen pitched this no-hitter wearing white Vans uh, cleats. <laughs> cleats. looked as, very sleek. It did. <laughs> very sleek. It was. He's got style, and that's one of the things I think everybody likes about him. Uh, certainly, Brandon Marsh was talking him up because they've played together and just thought he'd be a, a perfect addition to this clubhouse. And, you know, when Dave Dombrowski went out and they got him at the trade deadline, I was happy about it. You know, I mean, it's it's always good to get another starting pitcher, especially when you've got some uncertainty with Aaron Nola. And, you know, there's some of the you never are sure, you know, injury wise, whether when you're going to need another starting pitcher. But for him to make an impact like he has, he pitched eight shutout innings against the Marlins in his first start in a Phillies uniform. And now he comes into Philadelphia and does this. He it It's it's pretty incredible that that Dombrowski's addition here has made this kind of an impact. I, I just I wasn't expecting this from from Michael Lorenzen. It's just a very very cool thing for him to already be, you know, wedded into the team culture the way that it has. And did you see after the post game comments that the entire team was sitting standing yep. outside the dugout? waiting for him like nobody was in the clubhouse they were all standing on the field hanging out around the entrance of the dugout waiting for him to come back so they could all go in together i just i love this team it just feels like this is like the closest baseball team in baseball history and it's such a thing that clentech and other general managers didn't do well at the deadline that dombrowski seems to have a finger on the pulse of is you're not just bringing in the guy because of his talent and his ability on the field. You got to make sure it's a mesh with your clubhouse. Yeah. And these are guys, like you said, there's Marsh played with them. Castellanos played with them. It's like, they know this guy. They, I guarantee you, he asked, and what's this guy's vibe? Is he going to fit in? Things like that. It's just like every, every move is, is not, not saying that, oh, he's a really good guy, but he hits 150. It doesn't really make a difference. <laughs> right, like I'm yeah. sure if Rudolfo Castro yeah, I was going nice to say Rudolfo guy, Castro, but, yeah. it may not be somebody we remember. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that thing where, you know, when they got him, I thought, okay, I like Lorenzen from what I remember, but he's probably the right-handed Strom when it comes mm. down to it. And that's okay. That's that's good for the playoffs. Now it's like you're having – he's making you make decisions about October. Oh, yeah. Already. Oh, and, yeah. And that's crazy to think about this quickly. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. If he, if he continues on like this – and it can only help coming to a new team. You got this kind of support. The offense is, is putting up a lot of runs for you. It was a very easy no-hitter for him to pitch in because the offense was so good early. They gave him so many runs early. He was never in any trouble. Really, in the middle innings, they were no stress, they were low stress innings. He didn't have to really tax himself. Not like, say, like Millwood did in his one to nothing no-hitter. And and Terry Mulholland in his one-nothing no-hitter. They he's able to just kind of know that they, you know. 
the win's not guaranteed at that point, but he's feeling reasonably certain that he can, he doesn't have to be perfect. And so he can just kind of sit back and throw strikes and, and try and get ahead of guys. And uh, when he gets ahead, try and get guys to chase a little bit, but know that he can come back into the strike zone whenever he needs to. Cause if give up a home run when you're down seven to nothing, okay, it's seven to one, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, and so that's, and, and I think, you know, that had to have helped him as the game went on in the eighth inning and the ninth inning when he was at 100 pitches. Most of those 100 pitches were pretty low stress. They didn't become high stress until the eighth and the ninth inning. So that's probably another reason why Rob Thompson decided to throw caution to the wind and do something he probably didn't want to do. I'll bet you somewhere in Rob Thompson's mind, maybe there was a little little piece of him that was just like, It'd be okay if he gave up a hit, because then I could oh, get him out of 100%, there, and I wouldn't. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I assume most managers think that way. Like it's just yeah. like give up a hit in the first inning, and I'll have to worry about it. But yeah, no, it, it, it's that thing where there's also got to be something for a guy who's played on bad teams his whole career. Yeah, he was on some pretty bad Reds teams, and the Tigers are bad. So there's got to be something about coming here, and the building wasn't even full tonight. Like that was thirty thousand people making mm-hmm. that that noise. You're fifteen thousand yeah. short of you know October, and there's got to be something to knowing you have a chance to not just make the playoffs but go far in the playoffs and play in front of these people. It, that has to like add a mile to your fastball or give you that extra piece of energy that maybe you wouldn't have had in a in a slow lazy game in Detroit in October or in August. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I just I. I've I've been very impressed. It's a very stupid comment at this point, but it's just like not just the results, but just like he really seems to know what he's doing. He seems very under control. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is an easy outing when he's out there. It doesn't look like he's really taxed, even maybe when he is. Um, yeah, keep it up. Keep throwing these shutouts and no yeah. hitters. We'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be just fine. Yeah, he's 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 on a little bit of a Cliff Lee roll. Remember after yep. Cliff Lee got here in 09, very reminiscent of how Cliff Lee got started. Certainly don't anticipate Lorenzen doing what Cliff Lee did um, in in that 09 season. But you never know. You never know. Sometimes guys get someplace, and he's with his old. You know, I don't know if Caleb Cotton was the pitching coach in Cincinnati when he was there, but they were they were, on they the were same teammates staff. too. Yeah. Okay. Like at okay. one point they were teammates because Cotton's young, but yeah, I think he was like yeah. the assistant pitching coach when he was in Cincinnati. Right, so there's that relationship yep. that it makes him feel a little bit more comfortable too. And I, I think just, you know, I guess maybe the last thing on on Lorenzen before before we move on, uh, he seems like a stand-up guy, and we talked about the clubhouse culture, the clubhouse fit. I think this is one of the reasons why he is a fit there. Did you ever see the comments that he made when he was with the Tigers about making the All-Star team? I just saw them tonight, actually. Yeah, that he was, me too. Like, didn't, didn't feel deserved of, of the honor. Yeah. Because he had a mid four ERA, he had a, a four point two eight ERA when he made the All Star team, and he he was ta- he said to the media when uh, Detroit uh, when Detroit's coaching staff told him he'd made the team, he said, "There's no way, this is fishy. There's no way I made the All Star game. There's absolutely no way." And then he told me that I did. I kind of broke down. I was like, "I'm a mid four ERA. How did I make the All Star team?" But he's like, "But then he's like, but it was awesome." And since then, um, uh, this is. Uh, um, I forget what Twitter feed uh, posted this uh, posted this stat, but since making those comments, Lorenzen's made six starts. Um, Assessment is barbecue uh, tweeted this out. Six starts since making those comments. A 1.11 ERA in 40 and two thirds innings, including what happened on Wednesday night with a 0.762 WHIP. So I don't know, maybe a little self awareness. Uh, triggered something in Michael Lorenzen. But if he didn't think he was an all-star when he made the all-star team, he's certainly pitching like an all-star right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no regrets. If he's going to pitch like that every time he gets honored, <laughs> it's yeah, not right. even like a slate, right? It's like reverse Michael Jordan stuff. Right. But yeah. I just felt like I'm, I'm, yep. he's embarrassed to be an all-star. So now I got to go out and make sure I prove it by yep. with my year end stats. Um, well, just a, an amazing night at citizens bank park for Michael Lorenzen making history uh, with the, again, the 14th no hitter in Philly's history, just a, an incredible moment for everybody who was there, but that wasn't the only huge thing that happened in this game, this uh, seven to nothing win for the Phillies against the nationals, which was a, a, a big win in terms of, of the wild card push because the Phillies, of course, are still battling with all these different teams uh, in in the National League wild card. They've benefited from some of these teams slipping back to the pack as we're recording right now. Uh, the Giants have yet to play here uh, on Wednesday night, but the Phillies, for the moment, are a half a game up on the Giants for the top wild card spot. Um, but uh, so again, the Phillies in in pretty good shape for the uh, for the wild card at the moment. But the Weston Wilson story is getting totally overshadowed by Michael Lorenzen, but. 
the Weston Wilson game, the, the game that Weston Wilson had tonight was incredible. Here's a guy who was just called up a couple of days ago when Brandon Marsh went on the injured list to be a right-handed platoon left fielder. To, to He'll get just basically split playing time with Jake Cave out there in, in left field. Weston Wilson had been tearing it up for Lehigh Valley this year. Been a big power bat all season long. Had a really good spring with the Phillies down in Clearwater. Comes up his first plate appearance in the big leagues and Fransky and LA on the radio talking about his, his swing and his first swing and miss. It was clear he was swinging for the fences. And I think Fransky, I think it was Scott who said something, well, you, you probably know better than I do, you know, your the Twitter feed uh, <laughs> <laughs> that mimics what they say, but something along the lines of like, he was really trying to, you know, swing for the fences. You only get yeah. one chance. You only at get your one first chance. Appearance. Yep. And it was, it was, it was a classic, like I'm just swinging as hard as I can. And if I run into it and so for that to happen, the next pitch is yeah. just hilarious. The next pitch he hits and it wasn't, it wasn't a wall scraper. Like no. he smashed that ball to left center field. Yeah, and Wilson, it's interesting because he he felt like the guy that, um, because during the WBC when the Phillies had so many guys gone, mm-hmm. he I think he played every game. Of he played training. a lot. It, yeah. And it was like, and he did really well in spring training. And it was like, okay, well, here's the name, right? And so you kind of file it away. And then when they start calling up guys like Drew Ellis, and we had a Drew Ellis game too. So like, you know, these guys all fill in. But when they call up these other guys and... They kept Josh Harrison around. And you're thinking, all right, well, Wilson must be just one of those, like, you know, career minor leaguers, that basically a right-handed J.K., no big deal. But then you look at the game he had, and yeah, it's one game, but it's like he hits a bomb. He steals a base. Mm-hmm. He seems to play a decent left field. He ran, he scored three runs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, he was all I don't over know. The place. <laughs> and maybe this is it. Maybe this is the only game he ever has, but it's just like... He seems to do a lot of stuff, and I'll always defer to a guy who kind of fills up the box score and can play a few positions. Yeah, and if he was, it's impressive the hitting a home run in your first ever major league plate appearance. The last Philly to do it before Weston, Weston Wilson here, and they apparently they call him Wes Wilson. I prefer Weston. Whether he prefers Weston, I don't know, but I, I like Weston. I want to keep going with that. It's very classy. It is. It makes it se- it makes it seem like he's British and or a hotel you know, magnet or <laughs> something. Yeah. That too. Um, Marlon Anderson, September eighth, nineteen ninety eight, against the Mets, was the last Phillies player before Weston Wilson to homer in their first plate appearance. Uh, the last Philly before Wes Wilson to homer for his first big league hit was Derek Hall just last season. But here's what makes the Wes Wilson story so amazing, and this is why I'm. I'm sure his dad is in the stands crying after his son hits the home run and everybody in his in his family section is going berserk. My man had accumulated 2,836 plate appearances over seven seasons in the minors before finally getting his first big league plate appearance. And what does he do in that first big league plate appearance after nearly 3,000 plate appearances in the minors? He goes yard and then goes on to have an incredible game. He's the first player in Philly's history with a home run and a stolen base in his first career game. He's just the 13th player to do that in the modern era since 1901. That's crazy. (laughs) A a home run and a stolen base in his first career game. Only 13 guys have done that in baseball since 1901. That's great. Yeah, and he also played uh, in 20, and there's also kind of some off-the-field drama with Wilson. In 2021, doctors found a blood clot in his shoulder that could have been fatal, that he ended up getting fit, getting treated. But so he's had some some near misses, and he talked about, uh, I think it was in spring training, uh, Reese Hoskins was giving him some advice about you know, how to you know how to approach things now, and he basically said, when I was younger, I thought I was owed a spot in the majors, and now I realize that that's not the case, and so he had to grind for it. So you, just between Michael Lorenzen's family, being in the stands for the no-hitter and them going absolutely bananas. And then Wes Wilson's family being in the stands, watching him homer, score three runs, play an integral part in a, vic- in, a in a legendary Phillies victory in his first ever game with the team. That, that any other day is the lead. That is what we're talking about for the first 20 minutes of this podcast. Just a, a really amazing story, Mike. That that I, I know it's. I don't. I don't think he cares about it getting lost. It's. It's certainly going to be part of the lore of this game, which again will go down as one of the greatest regular season baseball games in Phillies history. This is a game we're going to be talking about for decades. Right, and the, and again, fourteen no hitters. There's not a lot, and so you always yeah. have a few memories from each of these. 
And, you know, like Juan Castro made a great play in, in yeah. Halliday's first no-hitter. It's just like all these random guys. You know, I think Wally Backman had a couple of hits in the Tommy <laughs> Green one. There's just like, there's always a couple guys. So at bare minimum, your game's going to get replayed on some classic sports network mm-hmm. once in a while. It's going to be, you know, next time there's a rain delay and they're showing games or something like that. So at minimum, you have that. The fact that he then becomes this bull durham type story where he's he's played for all these years and comes up and then yeah. just has has the greatest game and i don't know why is that not sustainable i mean he, who knows there's always a cody ransom there's always a luke williams there's always one of these guys that comes up and gives you a week mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that but if you get a week on a team that's going to the playoffs and quite frankly that bench is wide open for jobs. Sure, as, it is as, as you roll into October. So it's Absolutely. like you you could you could get in, you could get yourself on a playoff roster if you have a couple weeks like that. So so great 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 story, feel good story. Um, I don't think anybody will uh, begrudge the fact that it's the second story on the list right now. <laughs> and then poor Castellanos gets yeah. dumped all the way down to third. Yeah, and he's in the C block of the podcast right. here tonight. If we're if we're going to use some some media terminology, because uh, uh, Nick Castellanos had himself quite a game as well. Two home runs in this game. Uh, the second one. Number 200 of his career. And when you talk about family in the stands, Liam, his son Liam has been in the stands for basically this whole homestand. He was everywhere at Citizens Bank Park tonight, by the way. Liam was hopping from place to place. And I think he was with Lorenzen's family for a little while. He was with uh, Wes Wes Wilson's family for a little while. But uh, he was in his normal spot right behind home plate celebrating Castellanos's, his dad's two home runs. Castellanos, after absolutely cratering in July... Mike, I'm not. I'm here to tell you. I thought we were gonna. I thought we were in for another three months of what we saw in 2020. I yeah. didn't think he was gonna make the adjustment. And I know the the story was that while he was in Florida, he ended up staying up until 1 a.m. just hitting in the cages, and that apparently triggered something. He figured something out. He's hit five home runs here in nine games in August. It's it, just amazing how how mental hitting must be at some level because he literally. When he went to the slump, he turned into last year Castellanos. You know, it was just yeah. flailing at balls and somehow always coming up with important runners on base and striking out and all that stuff. And then he fixes it and he goes right back to what he was doing. And it's just, it's it's a testament to him because it's just like his defense last year, how it improved. That guy works. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't take that contract and lay back and it's going to be whatever. That guy works and works hard at his craft. And it's paying off again. The, the the power from the big five returning is is such a huge storyline here over this during the course of this homestand. It's this is what we saw in 2022, and this is what we saw especially in the postseason. These these big time bats doing what we thought they were going to do hit big time home runs. It's so much easier to get three runs on one swing of the bat than it is to try and cobble together five hits to get to get three runs. And I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know why it it was so hard early in the season um, and why it's so much easier now. Um, I'm sure it's not easy. They're playing inferior opponents at the moment, so they're seeing worse pitching. That certainly has something to do with it. But, you know, it gets hotter at Citizens Bank Park. The ball kind of flies out of there a little bit more often in the summertime. I'm sure that has something to do with it. But Bryce Harper's power is coming back a little bit. We're seeing Nick Castellanos find his power. Kyle Schwarber is obviously killing the baseball. He had two home runs in the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. He's up to 30 home runs on the season. What The, the kind of the weirdness of his season is on another level. I think Matt Gelb had a real good story in The Athletic about just the ridiculousness of his numbers, the batting average compared to the walks and the home runs and everything. We haven't seen a season. Like Dave Kingman, in his most psychotic seasons, never had a season like Kyle Schwarber is having right now this year. So you've got all these guys, and Trey Turner has has a hit in six straight games since the standing ovations started. Six RBIs. He went two for four uh, in the the leadoff spot here in in the game on, on Wednesday night. Um, it's, it, it's, it's vital that the big five do this because it just, it makes it so much easier to score runs when, when the, when the daycare guys, they're already doing their thing. They're already playing. They're going above and beyond what we thought they could do. The fact that the big five is now starting to hit makes this team. I said on the last podcast, I think they're borderline unbeatable 
when the big five are hitting because everybody else has already been doing their parts. Um, and we, we've kind of seen that manifest itself here over the, over the last couple of weeks. And the big thing, I know Gelb had a stat about this during the weekend, but they're hitting multiple runner home runs yes. now because yeah. the daycare is getting on and then the home run guys are hitting home runs and Turner as well. But it's like, even last year in the postseason, a lot of those home runs were solo shots or maybe two run home. They're getting guys on base pretty consistently, especially with Bohm and Stott and Marsh before he got hurt. Um, mm-hmm. So now you have runners on base, your power guys hitting home runs. They're putting up big, I mean, seven runs, and it was, a, again, we, we said it about a couple things tonight. It was an easy seven. You know, it was like, here's, here's three right away. Here's two right away. They're scoring in chunks, and when you score in chunks— it mitigates the issue they seem to have with shutdown innings as well because you're not just eking out one-run leads every inning. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, hopefully they can kind of get away from these these constantly three runs or less games because you're actually scoring multiple runs in multiple innings as opposed to one, 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 see you tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and that, it's been frustrating with the team, uh, you know, when they were doing that because – you can hit into some bad luck. You can hit the ball hard, but if it's not going over the fence, uh, there is a chance that it can be caught. And again, if you're just out there trying to hit home runs all day, you're not going to hit them. So I'm, I don't know what it is that's going on um, with the offense right now, but it is, it's, it's a great thing to see. Um, You mentioned the multi home runs. Um, uh, So so yeah, Shorber's two run home run um, in the game on Tuesday was the Phillies 13th straight with men on base, the 13th straight home run they hit with men on base, which tied the franchise record set in 1922. Uh, And then they hit three, three home runs with men on base for the third straight game, three home runs with men on base, three games in a row. They'd never done that before four in their 141 year history. And in this game on Wednesday, Castellanos's home run was a two run home run. Yep. Um, so it can, but they, they didn't have another two uh, multi run home runs after that. Um, but uh, you know, I, it still continues the trend of this team. Like you said, hitting home runs with runners on base, something they hadn't done at all. I think through the first half, I think they had three, three run home runs in or four, well, three like run home Bo- runs. Bohm hit a three run homer on opening day. And I think that was the only one for like a really long period of time, <laughs> which is, which is crazy because again, and it's been two years of this, this is this, this version and kind of in the playoffs too is what we all thought it was going to be, right? Just dingers, dingers, dingers. We all yeah. thought that. And, yeah. you know, it's not that all the time, but when it is, oh, man, is it beautiful. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. What else can we talk about here? Uh, let's. Uh, I want to talk about the bullpen just a little bit. If we can kind of, um, you know, we'll get back to my show sheet that I, I wrote uh, originally you to talk so about. so hard on it, John. Yeah, it works, use some of it. Let's just pick at it a little bit here anyway. Um, the Phillies, uh, obviously, they had an opportunity to, to, to win the game, uh, the second game of the doubleheader on Tuesday night. Craig Kimbrell, of course, uh, gave up the go-ahead home run to join Manessis. Manessis hits two home runs late in that game uh, to help the Nationals come back after the Phillies had jumped ahead 4-2. to two. Really felt like the Phillies were going to pull away uh, and win that game. The bullpen's been great. Uh, since since early in the season, um, really since April 19th, they had coming into the game here on Wednesday and obviously nobody in the bullpen pitched tonight. They had the second best ERA in baseball since April 19th, 3.19. Only the Yankees 3.15 was better. Um, they'd logged the fourth fewest innings in baseball, 327. So a couple of the guys have been overworked, but for the most part, the bullpen really hasn't had to be used all that much. Um, but... Craig Kimbrell is on pace for 74 appearances. The the only time in his 14-year career that he even reached 69 appearances was in 2011, his first full season with the Braves. And now Kimbrell has allowed five runs in his last nine innings. I don't know if there's a correlation to that, but I know the Phillies are concerned about overworking some of their relievers, specifically Craig Kimbrell. Um, uh, you had uh, Gregory Soto is on pace. Corey Seidman noted this in a story. Soto is on pace for eight more appearances than he's ever had. You have Jose Alvarado, who's still dealing with elbow inflammation and has had his timetable set back a few days with some hand cramps. Sir Anthony Davis hasn't really looked the same since last year. He missed some time with an oblique injury. They, they're they relying on guys like Jeff Hoffman and Junior Marte and Matt Strom uh, to kind of pick up the slack a little bit. They're going to need those guys a little bit more because they can't continue to... I don't think they can keep pushing Craig Kimbrell 
as hard as they have been. And I know they want to try and stay away from him, but after getting out of the bases loaded two out jam, Jeff, uh, Jeff Hoffman came back out for the seventh inning. The wraparound inning is always a bad idea yep. for, for relief pitchers. And Rob Thompson, I think screwed up there, but the idea was, I think he's trying to not use his high leverage guys as often and, and wanted, because I think what Hoffman needed like two pitches to get out of that jam, he thought, well, I'm not going to burn a reliever after just two pitches, but it ended up costing them uh, the lead as uh, Manessas hit his first home run, a two-run shot to tie the game at four. What, what do you make of where the bullpen is in terms of, of usage? What's your level of concern for Kimbrell and Soto and, and, and for the rest of the bullpen being able to maintain what they've done really since April 19th? The Kimbrell number was staggering when I saw that, that he's on pace for 74 yeah. games. That is just, that's a lot of games in any context, especially for a closer, especially for an older closer. I think it's just indicative of all the close games they've been playing. Yeah. I do wonder if they will look to do a version with him that they did last year with Wheeler, where they kind of try, maybe when Alvarado comes back, if they try to give him like a little bit of a, like a DL, like a kind mm-hmm. of a, a you know, sore elbow or something like that, you know, some, some nonsense injury, but maybe, maybe give him 10, 15 days down. Um, when when you're fully stocked beyond that, uh, because it's not sustainable. I mean, for anybody, he, I don't think the plan was for him to have to pitch as much as he was, but with Alvarado down and Dominguez down and Dominguez not as effective. And, you know, we always forget, but like Bilotti and Brogdon went to the minors and they're just gone. Like, yeah, they they're, they're just there. They don't, they don't even talk. I looked up Brogdon's stats bef- earlier because I was curious I mean, I don't know what minor league stats mean, to be honest with you, but like he has like a seven ERA or something like that. Like that, that can't yeah. be good. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so guys, Bilotti like has been, and- Bilotti has been good though. I, I, I looked up the okay. same things. Bilotti's a two, two, five ERA and a two Oh three opponent average in Lehigh Valley. So, so he's the next one up. Yeah. You would yeah. assume, but yeah. again, th- that takes us back to this Covey thing. And the other, the other thing I wonder with, with the six man rotation, I assume, I'm not a huge fan of the six-man rotation, and I think there's pitchers in this rotation that are not huge fans of it. I don't think Wheeler likes it. I think he's he's kind of said as much, but the rest is good for these guys ultimately. But there's a way that I assumed that would also enable you to rest the bullpen a little more because you would stretch the pitchers a little longer. I mean, we saw that tonight, obviously. But like last night, um, he takes Wheeler out after six. Could Wheeler have gone that extra inning? I don't know. Now it was fine because you had Luis, Luis Ortiz pitch the final two innings, no big deal. But that stuff all adds up, and and so I do wonder if they're they're really gonna just try to get through this week, get to that weird off two days Toronto off, mm-hmm. um, and I think they have a day off like on the other side of that, like maybe the next week or something. I think they have like three days off in the next ten days or something like that yeah. after the homestand, and I think that's your chance to kind of get guys some rest maybe Sanchez if he's going to go if he's going to be I assume he's the one out of rotation when they drop back to five at this point and you know maybe you do some of that he's the old Ranger Suarez couple inning three innings here yeah Um, there's ways to do it and I understand that you kind of run yourself into these he's the closer and we're in all these close games he's got to pitch but I don't see how he makes it through an entire month of October pitching 70 something games in the regular season yeah no they got to figure it out that's and one of the that's really why they need jose alvarado back they they need to get and they they could really use sir anthony dominguez finding the old sir anthony dominguez the october of last year sir anthony dominguez because he's just not that guy right now it's hard to trust him to get the last three outs of a game or to pitch a, a really high leverage situation and they haven't asked him to do that all that much i think he's gotten into a couple seventh innings but i don't think we've seen Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I am, but I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time we saw Sir Anthony in an eighth inning, at least. I think and, he got one save because it was a night that Kimbrell couldn't go. Like, it okay. was literally what we're talking about, which is yeah. everybody else was down, and, I, yeah. and they've run into that a few times, too. Yeah. And it's because the plan was, we have these four closers. Yeah. That, that's our plan. No one will ever get burned out because we have the four, and obviously injuries happen, and that's fine. The interesting thing to me will be, when you get to the playoffs, you don't use everybody, obviously. So if you can get to those four and the five starters and Strom, that's probably all you need Yeah, um, yeah. to mix it up however you want. It just will be interesting to see how they get there without you know burning somebody out on the way. Yeah. 
A um, couple other things to note. Uh, you had you mentioned Zach Wheeler a second ago. He went six innings in the in the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Um, Philly seemed to think he was tipping his pitches. He said he thinks he was. They made an adjustment after giving up three runs early. Uh, then he allowed just one base runner over the last three innings. So it seemed like they cleaned up whatever the issues were there. Um, let me talk. Let's talk real quick about the wild card situation because, as I mentioned, uh, the the wild card is uh, going to be where the Phillies end up. They're not winning the division by any stretch of the imagination, but the wild card they're in a great spot for that. Um, if the season ended today and the Phillies and Giants were tied at the top, the Giants are almost certainly going to win every tiebreaker uh, based off of their record. The, the Giants swept the Phillies earlier in the year, so even if the Phillies return the favor, the next tiebreaker is like intra-division record, and the, the Giants have been great against teams in their division. The Phillies have been lousy against teams in their division, so they're not likely to to beat the, to, to win a tiebreaker with the Giants. they got to finish with a better record. So... What? How? How huge of a difference is it if it is the Giants to get that series in Philadelphia as opposed to San Francisco? Because if you, the the record at Oracle Park since 2014, six and 23. I'm surprised to, it's that good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't ever remember them winning a game in Oracle Park. They've so. lost seven games in a row there, and of course we all remember the 2010 uh, NL, NLCS where they, they just they played so terribly there, but. Um, yeah, I think that's a goal for this team right now is to just is to get that top wild card. It seems like that's that's where this team is steaming towards. That's where they have their goal. And hey, listen, if Atlanta falls apart, which isn't going to happen, if you keep winning games, you never know what can happen. But sure. you know, I, it's that, that top wild card beating the Giants, getting ahead of the Giants, staying ahead of San Francisco, and getting Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia rather than going to San Francisco uh, could could make the difference between this team going on a long run and their playoff series ending very very quickly. Yeah, just because you did it last year doesn't mean you should try and do it every year. Like yeah. that that whole road series where you don't get any home games in the first round, that's not built yeah, for success. You don't want to keep doing that. No. And and comma, the Giants play better at home. The Phillies are terrible in that place. I don't think you want some of our outfielders running around that enormous ballpark. You know, there's just so many things that you would avoid that way. Now, the one thing I did look up today was the Giants' schedule, because I just had no idea, right? Like, we, we kind of knew the Marlins had a bad August schedule coming up, and they fell out. So I was just curious. Oh, the Giants. They have, they're playing the Angels now. Then they have Texas, Tampa, Atlanta, Phillies, Atlanta, Cincinnati, mm. San Diego, Chicago again. <laughs> then they play Colorado, Cleveland, Colorado again. Then they finish with Arizona, L.A., San Diego, L.A. It might not be the Giants, John. <laughs> it's it might a bad not be. schedule. <laughs> <laughs> that is rough. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know who made these schedules, but there are some absolute murderous Augusts for some of these teams. And I, this is not a shot at Kapler. It's just a shot at the way they are set up. They are such a coin flip team. They platoon so much. They use all their pinch hitters all the time. That is such a thin line to be right to be successful. I, yeah. I just don't know how that can sustain, but the rest of the wildcard teams aren't that good either. So mm -hmm. the Phillies are clearly the best of that bunch. Yeah. Like it's, I, so they you can see so them therefore separating. They should have their, exactly. Therefore they should have that, that home series. And, and that's a great way to start. It's going to get the fans obviously on the right foot. You should beat anybody two out of three here in a playoff series. And then you probably go to Atlanta. And here we are again from for next year. I'm, I'm already yeah. I'm already in mid October, John. Yeah, I'm I can see that. There, You've already so. got your tickets printed yep. and uh, already ready to go. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely. It's it's it the the vibe. That's how good these vibes are right now. The, the, and it really is. The the Phillies had a really rough stretch early in the season. They played a ton of road games. Thinking back to that first those first two series in Texas against a Rangers team that has proven to be one of the best teams in baseball. We didn't know it at the time, but um, I mean, you you can't blow a five nothing lead you got on Jacob DeGrom I don't I don't care how good the team you're playing is but that being said the Rangers were very very good and then going into Yankee Stadium to play three games in New York against a Yankees team that was playing very well at the time that's just that's that's a rough start to the season and now we're kind of seeing the Phillies benefiting from all of the home games that they're going to have and and playing an easier schedule and so uh, we mentioned at the start of this 14 game swing with the Pirates Marlins Royals and Nationals I was hoping for 10 and 4 if the Phillies win on Thursday and take three out of four it'll be a nine and five home 
home uh, nine and five stretch against those 14 teams. And they really will have done what we wanted them to do, which is put a little bit of water between them uh, and, and some of the other teams behind them, specifically like the Marlins and the Cubs and the Reds. So the Reds are just falling apart in front of yeah. our very eyes. Ellie De La Cruz has just sunk back to earth. Um, some of his numbers over the last couple of weeks are really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Last thing on the Michael Lorenzen no hitter before we before we go, Mike, um, he is officially sending the Vans cleats, the spikes that he wore, to Cooperstown for uh, for to to commemorate the no hitter. So Michael so are Lorenzen's they the first are they the first Vans? They would be in the first Vans in Cooperstown. That is correct. <laughs> what an honor! Yes, yes, <laughs> and I think we just lined up. I think Michael Lorenzen, if he hadn't already lined up a sponsorship deal with Vans, may have actually may have just cemented that. So this could be a really good night for him in more ways than one. Um, Mike, any final thoughts uh, about uh, what we saw here in this game on Wednesday night, or anything else from this series, or just any other thoughts you have uh, about the team as we wrap things up here? Um, I think I think I'm pretty optimistic. I think I think that comes off at this point. And I and listen, this team has flaws. Um, <laughs> we've seen a lot of them, but I think this is kind of they've put themselves in a really good position. And you know, obviously things happen, but between their lead and their schedule and their clear superiority talent wise to the teams that are chasing them, this should not actually be. Um, a, st- a stressful September, which means lock in for a stressful September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. If there are, if there are any guarantees in life, it's that the Phillies will make your September stressful. No, there's no even in even in 2011 when they raced out and they got like you know you, they were racing towards the um, franchise record for wins. They went on that long losing streak. Not like they were ever in danger of losing the division, but then everybody started freaking out and stressing out. Remember that? I was not. So even in 2011 when they went 102 games, they still gave us reason to have a little bit of heartburn during the course of September. Well, uh, we saw history here at, at Citizens Bank Park on Wednesday night. Uh, Mike, I am really pleased and, and thankful that you were able to join me on the podcast to to talk about it. Um, and folks, again, make sure that uh, if you're for some dumb reason not following at Fransky LA on Twitter, make sure that you do that. It's one of the best Phillies Twitter handles out there. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on Hit and Season. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me and thanks for having a no-hitter yeah, then let you invite. <laughs> That's right. And do I it think, more. We'll do again. <laughs> well, yeah, you, 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 you can come on tomorrow, and we'll we'll get another no hitter to talk about. <laughs> Folks, that's going to do it for episode 703 of Hit and Season. Don't forget that you can find all of our Hit and Season podcasts over at Billy Penn. We have a landing page there, billypenn.com slash hit and season. And of course, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcast. Tell anybody who, hey, maybe this no-hitter created some new Phillies fans or made people aware of the fact the Phillies are in existence and they want a podcast to listen to. Grab their phone and punch us into uh, whatever app it is they use to get podcasts. And uh, uh, have them leave a five-star rating for us while they do that. And uh, they can download and listen to us talk about this team as they are steaming towards what we hope will be another postseason berth. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.